I've seen over the years that people often misunderstand what the practice of presence is. And of course, there are different methods or different techniques for practicing presence, different ways one could go about practicing presence. Often, though, there's this very subtle underlying current that to practice presence, to practice being present, is somehow in addition to what's already going on. Like, I'm having an experience of some kind, or I'm having a feeling of some kind, and I'm going to be present. (laughs) And often when we have this kind of approach, the practice of presence will feel like a task. Eventually it'll feel like a burden, and it'll feel like something that we it'll often end up feeling like something we don't know if we have the capacity to continue, right? So often people will be faced with this experience that they don't know how, or they don't feel that they have the power or strength or endurance to continue with the experience of presence. And in most cases, when this is our mindset, we're missing something very elemental. And what we're basically missing is the intimacy of the experience that we're having in that moment. In other words, what we try to do, we try to turn the practice of presence into a time-based activity. So what I start looking for when I do this is I start looking for how am I going to be present later on at work? How am I going to be present tomorrow when I have to go do this important interview? How am I going to be present next week when you see you're not even present now, right? We're trying to figure out how to be present tomorrow, but we're not present now. Because if you were present now, you would realize that you're trying to figure out how to be present tomorrow. And you would realize that that's a completely useless activity, right? But, and this is, this, this is what we do, right? Because our, we're so accustomed to our mind being in charge of our experience. Right? So we think that we're going to figure out a way to put our mind in charge of the practice of being present. And often what we do for that is then we look for some sort of technique that will help us be present. Right? Bring our beads along or whatever it is. We have our little bell that goes off every 10 minutes in our pocket or you, know, you name it. We, all, we have our mantras, we have our, all of our techniques. But what often is missing is just this very simple element of being engaged with the experience that you're having right now. So using this example of our attempts to be present later, tomorrow, next week, whatever, if we look at that experience, what's going on? If I start looking for a technique for how to be present, if I start looking for how to be present in later in, in the situation that I'm going to have tonight. What's going on in me? What's my state? When you start looking for how to be present tomorrow, what are you feeling in that moment? What are you experiencing? Anxiety. Anxiety, apprehension, fear, right? 
So if you were present in that moment, what would be your concern? Contact with your anxiety. You know, you would be interested more in contacting your anxiety than you would be in trying to figure out how to deal with tomorrow's situation, right? That's what being present is, right? And this also connects us to a very important element within us called guidance. We often mistake guidance as something that we're listening for that is going to tell us what to do. It's like we're putting our ear to the door. What is life telling me to do? And you, what does life tell you to do? You're listening at the door, what do you hear? Nothing. Crickets. You don't hear a damn thing when you're listening at the door, right? And what most people end up doing then is they feel like, well, I must not be sufficiently connected to existence because I can't hear what it's telling me to do. Well, it's telling you what to do. You're just not listening to the message. <laughs> it's telling you not to do anything. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that existence is telling you, stop brushing your teeth, stop going to work, stop doing yoga, stop getting dressed in the morning, stop eating food. It's not saying those things. It's simply saying nothing. And when we notice that, we tend to treat that like a failure. We tend to treat it like somehow we're not sufficiently connected to life to receive its message so that we don't know what to do, right? But if we were to look at that situation more clearly or more precisely or from a more present place, what we could see is that we're looking for a suggestion about what to do. And when I'm looking for a suggestion about what to do, what's my inner state? When I'm there in that position, listening at the door of existence, saying, what am I supposed to do here? What's my inner state? Worry? Confusion? Maybe again, anxiety? So if I'm really present, what, what's going to be my experience of being present? Am I going to be at the door listening? Or am I going to be there making contact with this anxiety? So you see, the practice of present presence is very different than what we sometimes make it into, right? Because if we really are connected to this element of guidance, what we're going to see is that your experience is guiding you all the time. And it's putting you exactly into contact with the thing you need to contact in the moment, right? So in other words, inner guidance is always there and it's always intelligent. It's always bringing you exactly to what you need to know, right? And in this case, what we're looking at is the fact that we tend to ignore that, right? So your guidance system will bring you to your anxiety so that you can make contact with it. We misinterpret that by saying, well, what am I supposed to do about this situation tomorrow, right? In other words, what are you supposed to do about the situation right now? Right now, not tomorrow, not later on, right now. And this becomes a very important piece when it comes to accessing our inner guidance. Because accessing our inner guidance isn't about getting on the secret track uh, that, that some of these teachings or teachers talk about where you are going to download messages from existence and they're going to tell you what to do and uh, tell you how to get rich and famous and all those things. Guidance doesn't operate like that. Guidance operates by putting you into direct and immediate contact with the experience that's present within you so that you can either uh, expand it or liberate it. 
And it takes a great deal of trust. As I mentioned in the meditation, it takes a great deal of trust to be led this way. Because it means that we begin treating our experience or our practice as one where we are a passenger and not the driver. Because as long as we see ourselves as the driver, we have very clear ideas about where the whole thing's supposed to go, right? It's like being in the car with your little device that's telling you where to go. If you think you know better, you're going to get lost, right? So our ability to, to step into the passenger seat, and meditation is the perfect method for this, because it's showing us it again and again and again. There's an experience that you're having that you're not in control of, right? But if you learn to uh, be a passenger to it, if you learn to flow with the flow of your experience, rather than trying to dictate its course, rather than trying to get it to turn out at a certain outcome, that you actually begin accessing guidance. And that the long, long searched for contact with your inner being becomes immediately available to you, right? It's not that our inner being is not available to us. It's not that inner guidance isn't available to us. It's that we're not schooled in how to understand what it's doing, right? That we're out of touch with its flow. So when we understand this, we understand that really contact with my inner being or contact with the higher self, as some schools call it, contact with inner guidance, my connection to, to my spiritual nature is really not about uh, a journey that connects me from here to there. It's about actually just getting here, just getting to the point where here really is important, where here really is the focus. And this is why we emphasize, of course, the practice of presence, right? In, in one sense, you can't even say that presence is a practice. Presence is just going on and you're invited, you know? It's not even something you're going to make happen, so I hesitate to even call it a practice, you know? Right now, there's a moment and it's happening. You're invited to participate with it fully, you know? We all have the freedom not to participate with it if we don't want to, that's an option. Nonetheless, the present moment will be here, right? So when we practice meditation or we practice yoga or any of the methodologies that we practice, understanding uh, how important it is to see that your practice is happening now and that when our concerns arise about the past or the future, that these are very elaborate mechanisms to take us away from the very thing we want most. You know, it's hard if we're not used to um, experiencing inner guidance. It's hard for a person to immediately accept that it's here. But you'll find, if you really look closely enough, that the guidance has brought you exactly to what needs to be seen in this moment. This is not an unintelligent universe. What is operating in you is not unintelligent. What is operating in me is not unintelligent. It's not haphazard and mistaken, right? That is to say that the experience you're having in this moment is exactly the right experience to have. But in order for us to see that and understand all the implications of what that entails, we have to be available. We have to be willing to show up to see the significance of what's happening in the moment, right? Because if I show up to the moment thinking, okay, I need to figure out what I'm gonna do about tonight's situation, you know? 
then I'm not really seeing that what my guidance has brought me to is the anxiety present because I don't know what to do with later's situation. If I can face that anxiety, which life has brought me to, if I can face it, meet it, experience it with a sense of contact, my experience then begins to unfold to yet another level. Because now I'm conscious of the thing that's happening right here, right now. As long as I'm not conscious of the thing that's happening right here, right now, guess what happens? Any guesses? Any input on this? You just stay there. You stay right where you are until you see actually what's happening in that moment. Because as long as you don't see it, it remains almost like an unconscious force. And this is why people end up feeling stuck. They're not really stuck at all. They're stuck because they're not yet in contact with the thing that, it, that their guidance has brought them to. So it, they feel like they've met a wall that they can't seem to get beyond or past or through. Right? And everything in our system tends to want to ignore this wall. We, f we meet the wall, but then we want to ignore it. We want to go around it, over it, through it, under it, anyway. You know, we want to catch an elevator up and over. Whatever, we want to find a way out of that experience. But the only way out of an experience is by coming into a full and complete contact with it. Right? In other words, that's the most ex important experience for you to have at that moment. And we would ask, why would existence operate in such a way? Why would existence ever want me to experience anxiety? Why would existence want that? Why would inner guidance bring me to the experience of anxiety? Because what existence knows that you, we, do not yet know is that your anxiety is completely unreal. That it has no real basis whatsoever. And so existence is bringing you to it so that you can discover that. Right? There's a great master of the last century who was a, uh, a scholar of the uh, Tao Te Ching. He had studied the Tao Te Ching, I don't know, something like 70 years or something. And someone asked him as he was approaching his death uh, what he had gotten from the Tao Te Ching after all those years of study. He said, worry is absolutely pointless. That's what he said. Worry is absolutely pointless. 70 years of studying this tremendous scripture. Worry is absolutely pointless. From where does he say that? How could he have come to that conclusion? You see, only someone who understands that the present moment is all there really is and that there's really truly nothing to worry about can say that, right? All, where do our problems exist? You will not find a problem in the present moment. I dare you. Find a problem that exists in the present moment. Even if the worst thing on the planet is happening to you, if you're in the present moment, it's not a problem. It's painful maybe, but it's not a problem. Because problems always belong to the past or to the future. Always. Always. Look at every problem you've ever had. It's always something that is not here now. Right? We come to this, when we follow our inner guidance to the present moment and to what it is showing us and illuminating within us, we come to realize that. that much of our life energy is simply trying to solve a non-existent problem. Let's have a good laugh at that. 
much of our life energy is spent trying to solve a non-existent problem. Much of our life energy is spent trying to solve a non-existent problem. <laughs> Meaning, not that, not that there's not... I mean, you can cook up a problem that seems to be very real, and you'll say, but Adi, this is a real problem. Right? But so much of that problem simply exists in the future. It exists because past circumstances happened a certain way, and we're trying to prevent them from happening again. Or we've read the newspaper and we see things can go really bad, so we're trying to make sure it doesn't go bad for me. Right? But how much life energy is spent on this? In other words, how much of our life energy is spent not in the present moment? So much of it. So much of it. So the meditation today was really an exercise about what it means to really be in contact with your experience, what it really means to be available to the present moment. Yeah. That, on one level, that could mean that uh, we are being available to some emotion that is present in our experience. And it may mean being present to no emotion in our experience. Right? But if we're willing to really be open and available, oh, could someone let Michael in? Thank you. Uh, if we're really open and available to our experience, we start to realize where the richness of our life exists, that it exists in that sense of contact. And that when I'm not in contact with my experience, the, the directness, the realness of my experience, that life starts to feel hollow, starts to feel meaningless, starts to feel that we lack direction, that we really don't know what it's all about, we really don't know who we are. You know, and those are painful experiences. So let me stop there for now. Do you have any uh, questions coming? Any, anything I can elaborate on or clarify? Is this the correct way of thinking? Maybe you can help. Um, I guess for me it's correct because I've been saying this is only a problem because I view it as a problem. And then, but when I view it as a problem, then I get really like the agitation and the anxiety and stuff. But if I'm like, oh, this is something like being presented, then it becomes transformed. Is that where you're going? Well, it's certainly part of it, yes. It's certainly part of it. Because when we see a situation as it is, it's not really a problem anymore, it's just a circumstance. You know, we tend to call things problems when we don't like them. When we don't like it, then we call it a problem. You know, nobody ever had a problem with, you know, a bunch of money being delivered to your door or, you know, a new love affair showing up in your life. Nobody ever considers that a problem. <laughs> it turns out to be a problem, but, <laughs> you know, the idea here is that it is our lack of contact with our experience that leads us into calling it a problem, that leads us into not liking it. Right? Because that's what I began with in the meditation when I was talking about getting in contact with your experience, but don't judge it. Don't label it. Because as soon as you decide that the experience you're having is somehow bad or wrong or not good, then there's no way of engaging it then. You, you've, you've decided to distance yourself from it by labeling it as bad. 
And that's what we do with problems. We meet a situation, and for one reason or another, we don't like it. And so we tend to try to eliminate it then. We want to eliminate the situation as it is, rather than engage it. If we could engage that situation, we would become suddenly uh, available to a whole new, broader perspective of understanding, which would also then create new solutions to the thing that's in front of us. Right? So calling something a problem will not only create tension and anxiety and fear and all those things, but it will also disconnect us from solutions. We will, st we will tend to step away. We'll either want to remove ourselves from the problem or eliminate the problem. In either case, we're missing that capacity to engage with it at a whole other level of experience. So yes, that's certainly part of it. Definitely. And I would say it's that plus the understanding of how we even get to that, you know? Because if I look at a situation with, clear, with clarity and presence, I'll see that this isn't a problem that's in front of me. I, it's a circumstance that I'm in resistance to. And that's what gives it the flavor of being a problem. But I can't see that if I don't engage my experience because I will simply decide this is a problem. God, tell me how to get rid of it. Give me some guidance. How do I get rid of this? And God's not telling you how to get rid of it. So you listen for God, and then you say, nope, there's no guidance there. God must not exist. But see, God doesn't believe in your problem. God's not at all involved in your problem. God has nothing to do with your problem. God doesn't see a problem. So God's not going to answer you on what to do about your problem. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm trying to characterize God as though it's a person here, and of course it's not, but... The idea here is that at that level of consciousness, we can't engage with solutions because we have to come to an experience of presence first to see that the problem is self-created. The problem is not an actual one. It's one of relationship we're having to a situation. So then our guidance becomes something totally different, right? Rather than how do I fix this problem, it's, wow, this resistance is really unhelpful. You see the difference? With presence, you'll see how unhelpful your resistance is. With solution-seeking, you'll see the problem as the problem and look for something to tell you what to do about it. You know? That's why people can say, I prayed to God and God didn't answer my prayer. To which we have to examine, what was the prayer? You know, if, if my prayer was to truly be empty, open, available to what was taking place, then we'll see that the prayer is absolutely answered. If we expect some outside force to come and, and help us change this problem, we'll never see a result from that. Because existence doesn't operate in the perspective that there are problems. Life doesn't operate. 